Next Sunday night will be uh, vacation Bible school, so <clears throat> we won't have church next Sunday night, but at 6 o'clock we'll be having our worship rally, and uh, everything will be going on, so please, if you volunteered to help in vacation Bible school and you need any instruction or wisdom, or and we'll need a lot of help through this week getting ready. There's a lot of things to do. Uh, any of you that want to volunteer to help Christy do some things in the office, she has a lot of uh, administrative little bitty duties to do this week like making bracelets uh, getting those ready uh, for the kids and uh, there's just a lot of a lot of little details that go into making Bible school happen and so we want it to be a successful week and a fun week uh, for the kids tonight I'm going to be coming from the book of Jeremiah you'll notice there's a, a two titles to the sermon no comfort in my chaos, no solace in my sorrow. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was also a preacher. He had an assignment from God. It was a difficult assignment. He lived, as I think about our own world, he lived in a time very much like our own. In a book that I read a long time ago, there's a statement that I will always remember. It said, Politically, the time of Jeremiah was a whirlpool. Morally, the time of Jeremiah was a cesspool. It was a terrible, terrible time. He was living in a dying nation, and he was watching it die. Do you get the same feeling about the time in which we're living? He knew it was dying, and he knew why it was dying. It was dying because the judgment of God was about to come on their nation and he knew that the judgment of God was due to the sins of the people not only to the sins of the people but every preacher knows that when you talk about the sins of the people you're not just talking about somebody else's sins you're talking about your own sins as well when the judgment of God comes to a nation it comes to everyone living in that nation make no mistake about it don't think that the judgment of God will come to our nation and that you will escape it. When the judgment of God comes, it comes to the godly and the ungodly. It's like the rain that Jesus said, it falls on the just and the unjust. If it's a nice, refreshing shower, it's a nice, refreshing shower for everybody. If it's a hurricane, everybody faces the wrath of the storm. So Jeremiah is a prophet and he's a preacher but as every preacher is, he's also a person. And so there are moments when he's absolutely overwhelmed by the responsibility of being God's messenger. There were moments when he wanted to throw up his hands and quit. Often his message was unwanted and unappreciated because as people, people often do, they want a message of encouragement. They want a message that makes them feel good and not a message of truth and so there were those who promised better days and uh, a deliverance but Jeremiah called for repentance and warned that without it, without it would come the death of the nation now we're about to read some verses that that have a historical context within the book of Jeremiah but they also have a present application to our lives and when I read them to begin with 
You might scratch your head and wonder what they might mean. However, as we lay them out tonight, as we lay out, break these verses apart piece by piece and allow me to show you what they mean, I think you'll find that they have personal application to your life. From Jeremiah chapter 8, we're going to read verses 18 through 22. Remember, this is Jeremiah speaking not so much as a prophet at this moment, but as a person, as a person. He said, my sorrow is beyond healing. My heart is faint within me. Behold, listen, the cry of the daughter of my people from a distant land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not within her? The Lord speaks here in the, in the middle of verse 19. Why have they provoked me with their graven images, with their foreign idols? Jeremiah says, Harvest is past and summer is ended and we are not saved. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken, I mourn. Dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? He looks at God's people in a tender way. Uh, the daughter of my people, the little, the little girl, the little child that's in a faraway land, far away from God because of sin. And that's where they are. And this, this has brought Jeremiah great brokenness. And so there's a lot of things he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand uh, the, the, the things that are going on in his nation. He, he, he does, but he doesn't. He under, doesn't understand why his sermons are ineffective. He does, but he doesn't. He doesn't understand his own personal grief, grief that he experiences simply from trying to be the man that God wants him to be. So I have an outline that I want to lay before you tonight, just a very simple outline of five things that I think will help you understand this passage of Scripture and make application to it in your own, of it in your own personal life. Number one, Jeremiah expresses the pain of personal difficulty. In verse 18, he says, My sorrow my heart. So is there some grief in your life, uh, some, some problem that won't go away, a sore that never heals, a burden that you carry that continually saps your strength? It's constant. It's nagging. It's draining. It's heartbreaking. You go to bed with it at night. You get up with it in the morning. It is a burden that simply never goes away. It is your sorrow. It's unique to you and yours. Everybody has something like that. Maybe you don't when you're younger, but as time goes by, there are burdens that attach themselves to you and don't seem to go away or get any better. So it's you and your family. But like Jeremiah, who, who stood among others who shared the circumstances, this has become your personal difficulty. You seem to bear the burden of it all. Everybody else may know about it, but you're the one who's bothered by it, whose sleep is stolen, and whose peace is stolen. So Jeremiah said, this is my 
sorrow, my sorrow that seems to be beyond healing, this grief in my life that just never will go away, that never can be soothed. But second, we also see that Jeremiah here in verse 19 confesses the perplexity of personal doubt. He says, where is God in my difficulty? Not only does he say that, but God's people in general say that as they look at their circumstances. Do you ever ask that question? Where is God? I love the, you've heard me talk before about the questions of Gideon. You remember in Gideon, uh, in Judges chapter 6 in the story of Gideon, uh, when Gideon was approached by the angel of the Lord, he was threshing wheat in the wine press because he was hiding from the Midianites and the Lord came, the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. A preacher can stand up and tell you that and you not feel it. An angel can stand up and tell you that and you still not feel it. The angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you. And that was the Lord standing with Gideon at that moment. But you know what Gideon said? If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the promises that our fathers told us about? And why has the Lord abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian? Look, circumstances sometimes say things different to us than the Bible says. When we look at our circumstances and we look at what God's Word says, we see them saying, Two polar opposites. Where is God in my difficulty? Why doesn't he answer? Why does it seem that he's aloof in my circumstances? So has he abandoned me? Has he forgotten me? Has he forsaken me? Does he love me? Is he able? Does he listen? Does he answer? Does he care? Look at verse 19. Jeremiah says, Behold, listen, the cry of the daughter of my people from a distant land. Listen to what they're saying. Now, remember, it's in the time of Jeremiah that God's people are taken into captivity. Young people, godly young people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taken to a faraway land where they will live the rest of their life. And Daniel says, God, I hear them crying. I hear them saying, is the Lord not in Zion, is he not within, within his people? Is her king not within her? Do we ever ask those questions at church? Do you ever ask those questions in the middle of your circumstances or in the middle of your problems? Are those questions you're asking right now, like Jeremiah who was watching the death of the nation? Do you ever look at this country and say, God, why is it that our country is moving in this direction? Why are you allowing everything, Lord, seeming to be turned upside down? So these were questions in the hearts and minds of God's people. And because they were common to them, they were also common to Jeremiah. Where is God and why is he silent? So remember, Jeremiah is facing the pain of personal difficulty. This is my sorrow and the perplexity of personal doubt. I've made that journey Maybe that's the journey you're making right now. Number three, Jeremiah responds in the panic of personal desperation. Look at verse 20. He says, harvest is past and summer is ended 
and we are not saved. Now, you may not realize it, but verse 20 is an expression of absolute hopelessness. The grain harvest took place in the spring. Fruits were harvested in the summer. And this verse seems to indicate that both harvests were failures. And so what's the situation when both harvests are failures? The fact is all hope is lost, or so it seems. And so that may be where you are tonight. You, you might have come to church with such burdens on your shoulders and such worries in your heart that you, you look at your circumstances, you look at your life situation, and, and something in you just says, all hope is lost. Look, sometimes all of our deadlines are passed. Sometimes all of our hopes of deliverance come and go, and times run out, and time runs out, and we get overwhelmed by anxiety. We find ourselves at our wit's end, ready to throw up our hands in despair. Have you even given up on God, saying, We're not saved. He didn't come. He didn't answer. He didn't answer our prayers. He wasn't faithful. He didn't provide. Have you ever prayed as you faced an approaching deadline and, and, and you needed God's help and the deadline came and went without a response from God? I have. I've been there personally, and I've been there more than once. All I can tell you in that situation is that if that's where you are, God has plans beyond your deadline that you know nothing about. He is not limited by deadlines either by those that you impose upon him or those imposed upon you by others. God is not limited by what seems to limit us. But that's exactly how Jeremiah felt at that moment. God is just hopeless. Harvest is past. Summer is ended. And we're not saved. And, of course, we could say that in a spiritual sense if we're not ready to meet the Lord, the day will come. If you don't trust Jesus as your Savior, the day will come when there will be no hope. But as long as you're living, there is hope. As long as God is on his throne, there is hope. Number four, Jeremiah is confined in the prison of personal depression. Look at verse 21. He says, For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken I mourn, dismay has taken hold of me. So here, here is Jeremiah in the face of the situation. He admits this. He said, my discouragement has just taken me captive. I'm imprisoned by my own discouragement. I can't escape. That's the way it is sometimes, isn't it? We can't break out of the, of the, of the confines of the depression that we get ourselves in. The clouds of despair envelop us. We feel like we're in some prison, and that, that might be how you came to church tonight, seeing no way out of your difficulty, seeing no way out of your debt, seeing no way out of your dilemma, no way out of your despair. I remind you of that time Jeremiah was thrown into the cistern. This was when he was toward, toward, sort of toward the end of the book of Jeremiah, when uh, because they didn't like his preaching, they throw, threw him into uh, a well, basically is what it was, a hole in the ground that used to hold water, and there was no water in there anymore, only mud. And the Bible says that Jeremiah sank in the mud. And when Jeremiah sank down in that hole, down in that cistern, he must have remembered 
the words that he said back in chapter 8. Oh God, I am broken. Dismay, I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. But you know what? God got him out of that hole. God got him out of this hole in chapter 8. God got him out of that hole later in life. And that's one of the things that God does. God delivers us from the holes that we find ourselves in. He delivers, delivers us from our personal despair, from prisons of depression. So here, here Jeremiah is facing the, the pain of personal difficulty, the perplexity of personal doubt. I've made that journey. Maybe that's the journey you're making. And he's responding in the panic of personal uh, desperation uh, because he just doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know at this point where to turn. He has all of these questions about what's going on, what are, what's going on in his life. But look at verse 19. Look at verse 19, the second part of verse 19. <clears throat> and it says here, uh, why have they provoked me with their graven images and with their foreign idols? Now, this is God's answer as Jeremiah begins to issue his complaint. You see, Jeremiah was not only dealing with depression, he was dealing with his own disobedience. These folks uh, were dealing with sin. Without fail, whenever God allows problems, perplexity, and panic to come into the lives of his people, there's almost always a root cause. And here, it's, here the root cause is they provoked me with their graven images and with their foreign idols. Jeremiah turns out to be one of the most transparent individuals in the Bible. He never hides his feelings or his failures. Once, Jeremiah wrote, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can know it? And he didn't write that uh, as, a, as some kind of uh, theory about what he thought might be true, he, he knew that about his own heart. He knew that by personal experience. He knew what it was to be sick with sin and then to be sick with discouragement because he had sinned. And he knew that the difficulties he and his people were facing were a result of their own disobedience to God. Has your disobedience to God ever brought discouragement and depression into your life? You know, one of the things the devil does, we find this, a good picture of this, in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Now, there's a character called Joshua. He's the high priest, and he's standing before the Lord. What a wonderful place to stand before the Lord. Isn't that where we are tonight? We're here before the Lord. We're in the Lord's house. But although he was standing before the Lord, there was an awful thing happening at the same time. Satan was standing at his right hand. What was Satan doing at his right hand? What was Satan's intention? He wasn't tempting him. He wasn't there to tempt him because he'd already done that. Apparently done a pretty good job. The Bible says Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him, to accuse him, to say to him, and to say to the Lord, he's not worthy to be in your house. He's not worthy to be your servant. He's not worthy to hold your book in his hand. He's not worthy to be one of your people. No doubt, Jeremiah had also at times heard the accusations of the enemy. He knew his own heart. 
And he knew he was not a perfect person. You know that about yourself. And so sometimes the enemy can come against you and cause you despair and discouragement because of the quality or the lack of quality of your own personal relationship with God. But the good news in that passage in Zechariah, as Satan stood at, at the right hand of Joshua, who was the high priest, and the Bible says he was standing in filthy garments. That's a picture of sin. And the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. Is this not a firebrand plucked from the burning? God was redeeming the circumstances of Joshua, the high priest. And the God who redeemed Joshua's circumstances and redeemed Jeremiah's circumstances will redeem your circumstances when you find yourself <clears throat> devastated by sin and the discouragement that follows sin. So if, if you've come to church tonight discouraged, that discouragement could be a symptom and not the sickness. Could the sickness be sin, some disobedience in your life, and could the solution to the sickness be a quick response to God's diagnosis of your problem? Lastly, there's six things, not five, I'm sorry. The sixth thing is Jeremiah identified the paradox of personal decision. He says in verse 22, Is there no balm in Gilead? B-A-L-M. It means ointment. It means medicine. It means comfort, help, something that will make a difference. Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? Gilead was a territory in Israel known for a tree whose sap was the source of a famous ointment. Physicians in Gilead prescribed that ointment for a variety of ailments. And so the answer is yes, there's a balm, there's an ointment in Gilead, and yes, there were a lot of doctors there who prescribed it for ailments, but doctors and ointments are of no use if the remedy is not applied, and thus the paradox. The ointment that Jeremiah was talking about was not the ointment in Gilead. <clears throat> in the book of Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea is a strong and healthy church, apparently, at least in their own minds they are, because Jesus said, you as a church say, you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but, that you, but you know not that you are wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. And one of the things that Jesus advises them to do is he says, you need to come to me for a little bit of eye salve. You need to come to me for a little bit of ointment. I'm the physician that can help you with some of your problems. What you need, you need from me. You really don't have anything. You need from me what I can give you. And that's what Jeremiah is saying to these people. That's what he's crying out. God, are you not our healer? Are you not our helper? But then where is our help? Where is our healing? And of course, God was available 
but his people were not reaching out to him. How about you? Have you reached out to him or have you been looking to the inferior resources of the world to solve your problem, to lift you up out of your despair? The worst illness that a person can have is not cancer or diabetes or high blood pressure or heart disease. It's sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, it immediately complicated their lives. The Bible says thorns and thistles grew up under their feet. It grew up in between them, in between Adam and his wife Eve. It grew up between their children. Thorns and thistles grew up in there between them and God. The deepest problems in most of our lives, in your life and in mine, if you would be honest, the deepest problems that you have in your life have a, have a, a, a connection to you and your sin and your lack of connection to God. That was true in Jeremiah's day. And so the question raised by Jeremiah relates to the paradox of personal decision. There is a balm in Gilead. There's help. There's comfort in God. There's healing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that. He's the prescription and the prescriber. He's the healer and the curer. But what we have to do is turn to him. And we have to apply the remedy. I like one other story in the Old Testament. We talked about a little bit about Hezekiah this morning when Isaiah came to him and said, the Lord sent him that message. He said, set your house in order for you'll die and not live. And the Bible says that immediately Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed. He began to pray and he began to do business with God. And before Isaiah ever even got out of the door, it must have been one of those Arab prayers that Hezekiah just shot up and said, oh God, please forgive me, please help me. And before Isaiah got out of the door, God turned him around and said, look, I'm going to add 15 years to his life. Get a poultice of figs and put it on whatever it was he had. He must have had a some kind of sore, some kind of boil that was about to take his life. And so they applied that poultice in response to what God had said. And Hezekiah began to get better. Everything turned around. So there's a remedy that God has for whatever it is that ails you in your life tonight, especially if it's discouragement. And especially if it's discouragement due to sin, there's a remedy and the remedy is the Lord Jesus Christ who offers forgiveness of sins. Yes, Satan stands at your right hand to accuse you, to make you feel even worse, to make you even more depressed, to poke you down in your cistern of depression and say, you'll never get out and I'll make sure you never get out. God's not with you. God doesn't care about you. But the truth of the matter is, as Jeremiah's heart was broken for his people, the heart of God was also broken for his people. And God desperately wanted to help them. That was why it was not Jeremiah who sent Jeremiah. It was God who sent Jeremiah trying to get the attention of his people. God is always trying to get our attention, yours and mine, even when we sink in the mire of sin. It, del it delights God to pull us out to clean us up, and to set us back on our feet. I believe it was last week we read that passage from Psalm where David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me 
and heard my cry, he lifted me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock and he'll do the same for you.